0: So let us jump into our teaching this morning. We are finishing our uh, spring series today, uh, called "On Earth as It Is in Heaven." And today, uh, I'm going to be preaching <clears throat> from one verse. So, if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, but we'll also have the verse up on the the screens next to me, so you can read along there. Our verse today is going to be Proverbs 28:1. So, I'll give you just a moment if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, We'll have it up on the screens next to me as well, and then we'll get started. Once again, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. It seems as though we still have a couple of people turning, so I'll give you just another moment, and then we'll jump in. All right. It looks like we're all settled. So this morning we're going to be in Proverbs 28, verse 1, and then uh, today will be somewhat of a meditation on this verse. So in Proverbs 28, 1, it says, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Today we're talking about boldness and courage. Whenever I think about this topic and I think about uh, the need for, for boldness or for courage, uh, one, of the, one of the things or events that my mind goes to is a speech that was delivered by Winston Churchill uh, back in 1940. In June of 1940, uh, England was, uh, had its back against the ropes, you could say. Uh, Nazi Germany was spreading throughout Europe. They had taken over France, and now they're trying to cross over the canal uh, to invade Britain and take over the United Kingdom. Uh, The British forces were backed up against the the beaches at Dunkirk, if you've heard that story before. Uh, They they set off on this daring rescue, and Churchill, as the new prime minister put in charge to try to um, uh, be the one to stand up to Hitler and the Nazis, delivers this speech called Their Finest Hour. And in this speech, he wrote, Hitler knows he will have to break us on this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad, up, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, the whole world, including the United States, including all we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. I reflect on that that, uh, speech by Churchill as I think about where we are today, especially where we are uh, in, in the state of the church today here in the 21st century in the West and in America. We as well, in a sense, have our backs up against the ropes. We as well, in a sense, though it is not with an actual uh, military, you know, or or a nation state coming against us, we are staring into a possible new abyss, into a new dark age, with the various uh, worldviews, ideologies, uh, narratives, and ideas, and so forth, that are being pressed into our society, that are filtering down uh, out of uh, not ideas that were once. Just in the academy that are now filtering into the mainstream uh, ideas we've been talking about for several weeks now. We're facing many different challenges as Christians here in the 21st century, challenges uh, that go down to the very basic questions of human nature, as we've talked about gender and sexuality, Qu- uh, questions that go down to the basic questions of life in cases such as abortion, euthanasia, uh, you know, physician-assisted suicide, and the like. Uh, other questions are uh, based upon just our, our worldview and what we believe about the future, what we believe about the value of life. Whenever you look at these skyrocketing numbers of what sociologists call uh, the deaths of despair, that would be deaths which are brought about by suicide, by overdoses on, uh, on alcohol or drug abuse, uh, and, and so on. We see rising uh, rates in, in hate crimes and in violent felonies of uh, various different forms. Uh, and all along with these things, there, is, there are ideologies and worldviews driving them, which I've spent the last uh, 10 or 12 weeks trying to help us to see. And so we as well have our back up against the ropes. But we have an opportunity in this moment. We have an opportunity here as we face these, this possible new abyss that is a forest, with our backs up against the ropes, with us uh, pressed against the, the beaches like the British forces were at Dunkirk. And we as well, just like Churchill called uh, the British Empire, we as well in the church have an opportunity where we can stand up, where we can quit living in denial about uh, about what is coming against us, and about the, the power and the potential of these various things that we see, uh, the trajectories that our culture is on, to stop living in denial, to stand up, and to live as scripture calls us to, which is, which is bold as a lion. And if we do, we might earn the respect of our children and grandchildren, and generations after might look at us and say, this was their finest hour. So today, I want us to consider what it means to live Courageously speaking, the truth with lion-like courage, like we read about in Proverbs twenty-eight, one. So first, we're going to talk about understanding courage, and then where does the source? Where, where is the source of courage? Where does courage come from? And then, lastly, how to start living more courageously. So let's begin just with understanding courage. Uh, in our country here, the highest honor that there is in our Federal government in our military for acts of valor and courage is the Medal of Honor, right? You've heard of the Medal of Honor before. Maybe you've heard some of the stories of, uh, of the servicemen and women who go into battle and earn such a high honor. Well, you know, whenever they give the Medal of Honor, there's always a ceremony where the president speaks, uh, recounting the story of what the soldier did and then uh, and, and giving them the medal, Back in the 80s, Ronald Reagan uh, was giving the Medal of Honor posthumously, so it was to a soldier who had given up his life in the line of duty, but he was giving a Medal of Honor to a man who had given his life uh, back in World War II. And Reagan, as he was talking about what this meant and talking about this story, uh, that the story that this man had uh, lived out and given his life for, he said this phrase, he says, where did we find such men? In other words, drawing our attention to and bringing forth how uh, how rare it is, and yet how inspiring it is. Whenever we see acts of great courage, whenever we witness somebody who lives boldly or courageously doing something that uh, that you know is a little a little bit above and beyond what we what the rest of us normally live and aspire to, it evokes awe and wonder from us. You see, courage is something that has always been evoking awe and wonder among civilizations across the world reaching back through ancient history. Courage is something that has been considered a classical virtue or something that is held in high honor uh, going back all the way into ancient history and and various different civilizations. You can go back and read the ancient Greek philosophers, and they wrote about courage as one of uh, the—for Plato— the ancient philosopher Plato, he wrote that courage was one of the cardinal virtues. You know, so Plato had like a hierarchy of virtues, and there at the top were the cardinal ones, such as, you know, honesty and, and, and so on, and one of those was courage. Courage was one of the top ones, one of the absolute most important ones for all the rest of them to line up in their place. You can see this reflected in C.S. Lewis. Lewis said that courage is something that is not necessarily a virtue in itself, but all of the virtues at their testing point. Right, so will you you be honest whenever telling a lie would be more convenient, right? Courage in that moment is the virtue of honesty at its testing point, right? So you can see that in Lewis as well. Aristotle, on the other hand, described all the virtues as the mean between two extremes. Does that make sense? The mean being the average or the middle between two extremes. That's how he described all the virtues. And so for the virtue of courage, what Aristotle says is that courage is the mean, it's, it's the middle, right in between uh, shame, uh, shameful cowardice, right, shameful fear, but then on the other hand, uh, brash recklessness. Courage is there in the middle, and I think that's a really good way for us to understand courage because it's pretty obvious to us that uh, courage is not uh, shameful fear, right? Right? lying whenever you should have told the truth or doing the wrong thing where you should have done the right thing or, or or so on and so forth, you know, giving up where you should have pressed on, right? That is shameful fear. And so I think we would all say, yeah, well, yeah, that is not courage, right? That is not boldness, fortitude, whatever other title we want to put on it. But on the other hand, it is not just brash recklessness, okay? It is not just just sheer fearlessness, okay? It is not just uh, risky behavior for the sake of risky behavior, because courage must be driven for the right reasons or for the right cause. And whenever you have recklessness or violence or whatever else that is not driven by the right cause, well, then that is not courage. So, for example, we can look at the actions of terrorists, right, who go, you know, with guns blazing into different areas or or, or suicide bombing and so on, and there is a certain fearlessness in those actions, right? But are they courageous? No. They are not courageous because they are not built upon the right values. They are not built upon the right foundations or the right morality or the right cause. So that is recklessness, right? That, That is evil. It is not courage, Courage is acting, always doing the right thing, acting upon the right values or for a righteous cause. So with that kind of introduction, let me give you my definition of courage. I'm going to give you a short definition and then a long one, because I know that a lot of you take notes. So let me give you the short one for your notes, and then I'm going to expound upon it a little bit. Courage is doing the right thing when it's the hardest thing to do. That's your short definition. Courage is doing the right thing when it is the hardest thing to do. As I said before, right thing. Because courage is, is whenever we are acting upon the right values or for the right reasons or for the right causes, for the righteous causes. Whenever we are living for the right mission or vision or, uh, or, or thing that is bigger, larger than ourselves. Whether that be for some great goal, whether that be something in service of your family or community, or whether that be something in service of God? Doing that right thing, even whatever is the hardest thing to do. Let me give you my longer definition. This is my definition. A person behaves courageously when he or she chooses a course of action based upon a certain set of values or ideals against immense pressure to follow an alternative. Therefore, courage is doing what is right when urged to do what is wrong. It is doing what is hard when you want to take the easy way out. It is telling the truth when you are tempted to lie. So you see, courage can take various different forms. It's easy for us to point to the soldier, the Marine, the sailor, uh, you know, the warrior and their acts of courage. We can look at these stories like the stories of a Medal of Honor recipient and so on, uh, or or of a law enforcement officer on the front lines in danger. And we call these, you know, valor and bravery. But courage takes other forms as well. Those are easy examples, but it takes other forms as well. Courage can also be seen in stories such as William Wilberforce. Warrior Werberforce, so the British politician in the late 1700s, early 1800s, who devoted his entire career to advocating for uh, and, and, and working for the abolition of the slave trade and then the entire institution of slavery in all of the British Empire. Even as a 26-year-old, right, younger than I am right now, around the same age as some of you, Even as a 26-year-old, whenever he entered Parliament for the first time, he made it his number one priority, his singular focus, the passion of his life to work towards the ending of that evil institution. And he gave his entire career towards it. How many of us can imagine devoting ourselves to one singular righteous cause for our entire career? And against setback and against setback and, and failure and failure and loss and loss, Wilberforce kept on the righteous path. And literally, I can't remember, it was two to three days before his death, once by that point he was out of parliament, but the cause was moving on, that the institution of slavery itself was ended. Something that he literally had given his whole life for. This is courage as well. This is courage in its forms that we would call endurance or fortitude. Whenever you look, uh, look at the stories of, of uh, whenever he was General George Washington in the Revolutionary War and all the, the battles that he had to go across, not just in the actual battles, right, but in terms of uh, uh, fighting the different forces that were against him in, in politics and shortage of supplies and so on. Uh, but he continued on, right, we call that fortitude. So courage is endurance and fortitude as well. Courage is also can be seen in stories such as Martin Luther King, who in the face of Jim Crow's segregation, institutional, systemic racism, uh, spoke out for and fought for justice. You see, his courage was a speaking courage, refusing to live with the empire of lies that was in place and spoke the truth, advocating for justice. In this case, we call this integrity, honesty, or moral courage. Friends, as I already said before, we live at the edge of an abyss. We live before a potential new dark age. I've already spent the past several weeks talking to you about all the different possible dark ages that could come upon us through, through the various ideologies that are being pressed upon us through, through media, through our social institutions, even through our government In the face of all of these pressures and with our back up against the ropes, we are called to live with lion-like courage, with fortitude, with moral courage, with bravery, as we see in all of these examples. So once again, Christians are called to live with a lion-like courage today. We can have sermon series, and we can talk about all of these different issues these social issues, or these worldview issues, or we can have talks on apologetics, right? And and understanding the times, right? But if we do not go from understanding to then living right, well, then what is the point? We must live with courage as well. The Bible is full of exhortations to be strong and courageous, Over and over again in Scripture, you see it uh, in in God speaking to his people and different leaders of the nation of Israel speaking to the people or speaking to their sons. You see it in the Psalms over and over again. We are called to be strong and courageous. Just go Google that phrase later and be surprised at how often we see the call to be strong and courageous. Sometimes uh, the call to courage is instead phrased as to take heart. So be strong and courageous to take heart. We see this all over scripture, let me give you just a couple of examples. From Jesus's lips himself, in John 16, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Joshua speaking to the people says, haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Going back to the New Testament, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 wrote, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, right? That's that's fortitude, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Remember all the great stories of courage that we have in Scripture, of David defeating Goliath, of Joshua leading the people of Israel into the promised land despite all of the enemies that they had before them. Remember the stories of, uh, of, of Peter and John giving their testimony about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection before the Sanhedrin, though they are whipped and beaten. And how after they were whipped and beaten, the rest of the church gathered together and praised the Lord that they might have the opportunity to give such a testimony and pray that they might have boldness to continue speaking. Or of Paul, who also bore uh, testimony in various courts and before various opponents and enemies. We are called to live with a lion-like courage. Christians are not called to be cowards. Where does this kind of courage come from? Where are we to look if we're going to find the kind of courage that we need to live appropriately and, uh, and righteously in the world today? The thing about courage is that it is not a natural-born trait. We often think of it as something that you either have or you have or you either have you either have or you have that makes a lot of sense that you either have or you don't have right that you, like the color of your hair you are born with with brown hair or you're born with blonde hair right uh, like the color of your eyes or your height or whatever else right um, but this is not true now while Some of us might be a little bit more risk-averse or risk-prone than others, right? That's a natural tendency that you see in some people. But risk-taking, like what I said before, is that courage? Not necessarily, right? And, you know, while some of us also might be a little bit more uh, tending to be people-pleasers than others, and so if you tend to have more people-pleasing tendencies, then it's going to be hard to say things that might... might make people upset, right, or disagree with you. Some of us might be a little more non-confrontational than others, but you know, courage doesn't mean uh, confrontation. Okay, it's easy for us. it's important for us to remember these things. While some of us might have these tendencies or traits that that make certain situations more difficult than another, regardless of, of those different tendencies, we need to understand this: that it is not a natural born trait; that it is something that we can all aspire to. World-changing courage is something that is a possibility for every single one of us. For every single one of you in here, regardless of what you might think about yourself and your, your weaknesses, right, your natural, what you might lack in natural talents or whatever else, every single one of you, with the Holy Spirit inside of you and with God's word to guide you, you have the potential for world-changing courage. The key is that you need to know where to look. So where do you look? I think often, especially what our culture would tell us, and what we might think is like the common sense um, assumption would be that, well, I need to look inside of me, right? Courage, taking heart, well, my heart is inside of me. So I need to look within to discover the courage that I need in order to live rightly, to live bravely, right, to live with fortitude, endurance, or moral courage today. We see this in the stories that our culture tells, that you need to look into your heart, right? And you need to live out what is true inside of you, and then that is courage. One of the best examples that I can think of is in the story of, uh, in the movie Mulan, right? Have you guys seen Mulan, 90s kids? You remember Mulan, and she is, uh, and and she's, look, she's singing this song and and looking into the water. I don't remember all the details. Uh, You know, she's looking in the water, she's singing this song, and she's talking about her reflection, You know, she's struggling. She wants to go out and be a soldier. She wants to go out and be a warrior. But because she's a girl and not a son, you know, a daughter, not a son, uh, her her family doesn't want want to let her to. But she's got this courage within her. She's got this warrior spirit within her that's being held back, being suppressed by her culture. And so she's singing about when is my, this inner courage, this warrior spirit going to be let out of me. And so she sings, who is that girl I see staring straight back at me? When will my reflection show who I am inside, right? Like the, the courage was already there. It is already who she was, that spirit inside of her, and it just needed to be unleashed. This is the view of our culture when it comes to courage. That it is just, it's who you are inside, and so you've just got to look deep enough and discover it in there. But this is uh, a farce. It is false. It is not true. The world tells us to find courage by looking inward, but the gospel tells us to find courage by looking upward. You do not look into your heart. You do not look, look into your soul trying to find your hidden warrior spirit that is down there somewhere. No, it is discovered by looking outside of yourself, specifically by looking to Christ. What does it say in Proverbs twenty-eight, one that we just read? Bold as a lion. Ooh, that sounds good, right? Wouldn't some of us like to be a little bit more bold like a lion, right? At least, at least starting with enough boldness like a house cat would be good for some of us. <laughs> It says, the righteous, the righteous are as bold as a lion. We cannot overlook that. You see, what this is speaking to is a trait that is not just naturally hiding somewhere down there in your heart. Because naturally, our heart is sinful, is wicked. Naturally, our souls are fallen right? We are inclined against righteousness. We are inclined against the Lord to live as rebels, to live uh, for ourselves, uh, and to indulge all of these sinful uh, desires of the flesh. So what scripture is telling us is that true boldness and courage to live like a lion comes only to the righteous. But if we are not righteous, well then what does that mean? Where does that leave us? It means that we need to become righteous in order to then live out that boldness and that lion-like courage. And the gospel tells us that the only way that we become righteous is through what? By him who knew no sin, taking on our sin on himself so that we might become righteousness in his place. So that we might become the righteous in his place, right? First Corinthians 15, sorry, Second Corinthians 5. That was off. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The gospel tells us that our only hope of becoming righteous is through the work of Jesus Christ in him alone. Because Jesus Christ, who was the only one righteous human being to ever live, gave up himself on the cross, sacrificing himself on the cross in a display of not only extraordinary love and not only of, uh, you know, amazing obedience, but of incredible courage, gave him his life up on the cross, suffering the death that we should have received, suffering the condemnation and the wrath of God that should have been ours, so that we might become righteous in him, being clothed with a righteousness that is not our own, but that which was given to us by Christ. So, The first step is becoming righteous in Jesus Christ, receiving the work that he has done on your behalf upon your life, and then in living out that gospel and in becoming closer and closer to Jesus Christ, you grow in your boldness like a lion. This is where you need to look to find courage. So, my second point, Jesus Christ is the source of our courage. We see this clearly in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 as well. Let me, let me read that to you real quick. Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us, with, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, The source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As I said before, if endurance for a right cause is a type of courage, then what Scripture, what Hebrews 12 is telling us here, is that the only way that we will live with courage, with endurance, with fortitude, is by looking to Christ, running the race with our eyes fixed on Him. He is the he is the athlete, the victor, the champion who won the race, and we now place our eyes on him to run ours. He is was the he, he is the warrior, right? The, the great warrior, general, fighter who won the battle, and we now place our eyes on him as we fight our battles. So, courage increases in proportion to your nearness to Christ. Because only the righteous are as bold as a lion. What does this mean? What is the implication of this? The implication is that if you are not in Christ, then you might try to work out the willpower necessary, right? And for short bursts and for maybe a moment here or there, you might be able to live courageously. But without Christ, you will not live the kind out, you will not live out the kind of righteous boldness that you need in our world today. Christian if you are someone who already is in Christ, if you have entered into that relationship, if you know Him, but you are not walking with Him, you're living a life of little obedience, right? Little nearness, not drawing near to Him, right? You're living a life with much and great inconsistencies. Then, in the moments of testing, you will not be able to stand because you have not been walking with Him, you have not been near to Him. And if our courage increases in proportion, to how close we are to Christ, well then, whenever the, the moment calls for courage, then you will most likely choose cowardice. There's a movie by uh, the filmmaker Terence Malick that I watched this week called A Hidden Life. A Hidden Life is a story uh, that's based on a true story about this Austrian farmer named uh, Franz Jägerstadter. Franz Jägerstatter was an Austrian farmer, and it is during World War II, the Nazis have invaded Austria, taken over the country, and now they are mobilizing the Austrian military to fight on their behalf. They're going to take their military, their soldiers, and include them in, into their army to continue their cause. Franz, this Austrian farmer, is, uh, is you could call him like a, uh, uh, he, he's in the reserves for their military, right? Every now and then he goes to training and then he goes back home. He's in the reserves of their military. And they're just waiting for the day that's going to come whenever it is time for him to be called up to have to go and fight with the Nazis. But there's a problem with this. Because what the Nazis would do is they would force every soldier from a different nation, whenever they would conscript them into their army, they would force every soldier to take a personal oath of loyalty to Hitler. Jägerstatter, as a Christian, saw this as an act of idolatry and something that he was unwilling to do. So for the movie, he is wrestling with this choice, this inevitable time that is going to come before him of whenever he is going to have to stand on principle, stand on his conviction, stand on righteousness and obey, knowing that they'll most likely put him against a wall before a firing squad. Everyone in his village instead is just capitulating with the Nazi ideology. They're going along with it. Though they all used to sit and stand and sing beside him in church as well, they decide just go along with it because it's the easy thing to do right? And so Jaeger's daughter is standing inside the church one day as he's talking to a painter who paints the murals in in the church. And the painter says, I paint a a comfortable Christ for people. I paint pictures of a comfortable Christ. He said, we make admirers, but we do not make followers. And then he goes on to say, but how can I depict what I have not lived out? In the moment of testing, we discover who has been following a comfortable Christ and who has been following the true Christ. Today, as we face the abyss and whenever the times come for us to either tell the truth or to live by a lie, to remove ourselves from those institutions or from those social circles or whatever else that capitulate to the lies or to go along with the flow of the crowd, it is in these moments where we will discover who is a follower and who has just been an admirer. The courage that you will need will only come if you follow Christ in radical obedience, in true discipleship, taking on, his righteousness on your, taking on his righteousness as your cloak and garment. Courage like a fire in the belly only comes from fixing your eyes on Jesus. So look upward and run the race. Look at him. Fix your eyes on him. Don't look away. And then be strong and courageous. Let me give you something really practical that can help in cultivating this, this nearness that you'll need and this preparation for the day when you have to live with courage, though it might be the hardest thing to do. You need to be in intentional communities. This application means we need intentional communities that bring encouragement and solidarity. As the world and as our cultures and society contends, continues to turn against Christianity and continues to become more biased and more hostile and more uh, opposed to Orthodox Christianity, uh, basic Christian beliefs, basic Christian practices, as the world turns more and more against us, we are to a greater degree going to need to be forming and, and participating in intentional communities with one another. Small groups like the local church, but then even, you know, groups beyond our local church gathering. Small uh, small groups of intentional communities where we are gathering together for the explicit purposes of understanding the times that we live in and then living in them well, as we are supposed to be doing. Uh, Intentional communities where we can come together to encourage each other to call one another, to continue fixing our eyes upon Jesus Christ, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Whenever we fail and and someone in in our community and in our fellowship lives by a lie, whenever they give in, they go with the flow, and then they bring it to the community to confess it, we hear that confession. We remind them of the grace of God. We dust them off and help them to continue going on. If you are living a solo Christian life, then it's going to make it all the harder for you to follow Jesus, to be one of his followers as you are called to be. And then in the moment of testing, it is unlikely that you will stand. So how do we act with courage? The greatest courage that we need today as Christians, like I said before, for you is most likely not going to be, you know, running towards the sound of fire (laughs) like a soldier. The most likely form of courage that we are going to need today as Christians is endurance, fortitude, and the moral courage to live with and speak with integrity. Speaking truth. Speaking truth is the most important thing in the world because tyrannies are empires of lies. They are, they are completely built upon foundations and, and structures and supports of, of lie after lie after lie. And if you are living with discerning eyes in our culture today, then you can see that we are in a cathedral of lies in our culture right now. The most important thing in the world for us as Christians, for the sake of the church, and for even the well-being of our city and our nation today is that we would speak out against the lies. Martin Niemoller, who was was a, a, a pastor during the time in Germany, during the rise of the Nazis, he said this. He said, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak up for me. Layers and layers of lies upon lie, but if we give in to everyone. That makes it all the harder to speak out whenever it is the most crucial time. So speak with courage. Here's the thing. You probably already know what to say. It's not all that difficult to just speak what God's word speaks and to live by that and to confess what God's word says whenever you're called to. You most likely already know what to say. You just need to say it. You just need the courage and the boldness to say it when questioned or asked. You most likely already know the difference between the lies and the truth. You just need the courage to not participate in the lie when you have the opportunity to. I know that one of the things that holds many of us back from this is the narratives that our culture says even about us. There are these strong narratives in, in our culture, in, in, in mainstream news. You, you've especially seen this recently. This, this, these stereotypes of the hateful or angry evangelicals, right? You know, all of these backwards, angry, hateful, uh, you know, religious extremist Christian evangelicals and how terrible they are. And so I think many of us, we start to allow those narratives to seep into our hearts and minds and think, well, I don't want to be seen like one of those people. But you know what? Silence is not going to change that narrative. You know what can? can is if you speak and you show that you're not that narrative. <laughs> it's pretty simple, really. Just living as you're supposed to live. Speaking the truth with, gent- with gentleness and respect, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Change the narrative by just being who you're supposed to be. But silence. But starting to believe that narrative that they say about us and about uh, Jesus' bride, the church. And then just being quiet about it, that's not going to change anything. We need to speak. Whenever it comes time for you to speak today, it's not so much about your rightness or showing that you are right, but about rescuing our neighbors and our coworkers from lies. It's not about your eloquence and how well you can speak or how persuasive you are in your rhetoric, but it is about just simple honesty and boldness. It is not about harshness, but about sometimes sharing hard truths. When asked or when given the opportunity, just simply answer and refuse to lie. Here are some practical steps to start developing that courage. The first one is this, be grounded in the truth. Every warrior needs a sword. Paul said that the truth of God's word is like the sword in our armor. And so if you're going to be someone who lives uh, courageously, bold, with, with lion-like boldness today, speaking the truth, then you need to know the truth. So first, be well grounded in the truth. Take up the sword of God's word and make sure that you understand it, that you know it, so that you might carry that sword with you into battle. The second being on that battle, be ready to wage war. Not against people. We don't wage war against people. We don't wage war against those who disagree with us. We don't even wage war with those who hate us. Because Jesus said that we ought to pray for our enemies. But, We wage war against ideas, ideologies, worldviews, and the powers and principalities of our enemy Satan who are driving those ideologies and worldviews against these things, against the ideas and against those powers, against that we wage war. So prepare yourself for that battle. Be prepared to be a soldier in the army of the Lord as God has called you to be. You know, it's, it's, it's a sad thing that we Christians don't sing as many of those militaristic hymns that they had, used to have. Where it talked about taking up our armor, putting on our armor, uh, and, and, and marching along in God's army. I, I know my, my daughter sings that song every now and then. Uh, I may never, my mother-in-law sings it to her. I may never march in the infantry, something, something. I'm in, the Lord, you know, I'm in the Lord's army. I know my wife and them sing that to her. You know, but it's too bad that we never, what is it? It's too bad that we don't sing songs like that anymore. We need reminders that we are in a war against Satan and his powers, and those powers driving the the narratives, ideologies, and worldviews that we see today. We're gentle with people, and we love people, but merciless against those ideas. The third one is this. You might be able to guess it. It's pretty simple. But begin to speak the truth all the time. Make a commitment today that you will only and simply speak the truth all the time. No more white lies. No more half-truths. No more even giving uh, false opinions about yourself that you think people want to hear, even about trivial issues. No more lies. None of it. Speak the truth all the time. No more silence wherever you know that you ought to speak. Commit yourself to, to today to start to live with a greater integrity. Because it is only by living with a greater integrity and speaking the truth all the time, even in the seemingly trivial moments, that you'll begin to build up that virtue so that in the moments of testing, you'll be able to speak the truth as well. But even if you don't speak, because look, realistically speaking, um, every single one of us is not called to, with a bullhorn, you know, shout at the world how wrong they are all the time. That's not what I'm telling you guys to do. Sometimes all you can do rather than, you know, proclaiming what God's word says is not participate in the lies. And so even if in a moment, you know, it, it, whether it's just because of a certain situation or just where God has called you to, if you don't think that it is it's God's desire for you to be the one, to be the preacher, to be the prophet in that moment, that's okay. All right, I'm not telling you that you're being disobedient. But if you find yourself in that situation, then you must at the very least commit yourself to not participate in the lies. Like I said before, all tyrannies are empires of lies. One of the great prophets of the Soviet Union who, who spoke out and who brought the world's attention to the wickedness and the lies of the Soviet Union was, in, was a writer named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn wrote the Gulag Archipelago, you may have heard of that book before, but he was a great prophet speaking out against, uh, the, uh, against the Soviet Union, which eventually led to him being expelled from his home country. And so whenever he was expelled, he wrote one last address to his comrades, to his compatriots, to the Russian people, and that last final address was, was an essay called Live Not By Lies trying to encourage them that the most important thing that they can do and something that every single one of them can do, regardless of natural talents, place in the world, was that they could refuse to live by the lies. He told them, even if it is impossible for you, or even if you cannot be the one to speak out the truth, then you must commit to personal non-participation in lies. And that is something that we must commit ourselves to as well. You must begin to live this way today, right now. It is time for us to quit playing ignorant, to quit pretending like the threats are not there, to quit trying to tell ourselves that our world and culture is not on the trajectory that it is currently on, and start to live with a greater integrity, forming intentional communities, preparing ourselves to wage war against the powers which are against us and against God's truth. You might ask yourself, what difference can I make? But I truly believe that world-changing courage is a potential for each and every one of you. Remember, I started this series all the way back in January, just two days after the new year. I started this series by telling you guys about the story of Moses' mother. They were living in a a tyrannical empire as well that ordered that all Hebrew boys under a certain age were to be slaughtered. But Moses' mother instead put Moses in a basket, and floated him down the river. It was this one small act of resistance, one small act of rebellion, one small act of of non-participation in the lies. And what did that lead to? It led to that baby boy eventually being the leader who would redeem Israel from their slavery. She might have thought to herself, what can I do without knowing that she, this, we don't even know her name, this nameless mother, would be the one to set off the downfall of an empire. Think about a German theologian and a Catholic priest named Martin Luther, standing against the empire of lies that he had in his day, thinking, what could I do? Well, he wrote down his beliefs on a sheet of paper, and he nailed them to a door, not knowing that he was setting off the spark that would lead to the Protestant Reformation and the transformation of a whole half of the world. Think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another German pastor, who thought, what could I do against the empire of lies during the Nazi time, but instead chose to not live by lies? You never know. Your act of courage might not be the one to bring down the empire, but it might be the one to inspire others. John Donne wrote in Holy Sonnet number 13, what if the present were the world's last night? Ask yourself that question as we close. What if the present, what if today, were the world's last night? And if this was the world's last night, would the courage with which you are living today make you proud? Do not cower in the darkness of fear, but let us all stand in the light. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we confess that in our own weak flesh and in our own sinful fallen hearts, we do not have the capacity to live righteously on our own, and we do not have the ability to live with lion-like boldness on our own. And so, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to enter into our hearts and transform us. Father, forgive us if we have been people who have been living by lies, perhaps not even great lies, but, but small ones, not speaking when we ought to, or even just silent participation and agreeing with the lies, going along with the flow where we might be. Lord, forgive us for this lack of integrity. Give us the righteousness of integrity and that living lives of greater honesty and fortitude and moral courage might lead to greater glory to you and to your gospel being spread. Father, we recognize that what we face today and, and all of the issues that we have talked about in the, over the last several weeks and all the issues that I didn't even have time to talk about father these are not about us proving our rightness but they are about defending your glory they're not about us getting our word in but they are about defending your word that they're not about us needing to rescue our lives because our lives are secure in you but it's about rescuing others lives pulling them out of the darkness of the lies that they are trapped in so father Would you give us the kind of courage that cannot come from within ourselves, but but that only comes through nearness to you. Wash us and immerse us in your presence. Pull us close to Jesus Christ. And then fill up our souls with your Holy Spirit that leads us to live with world-changing courage. We pray this in your name, amen.